Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will be discussing Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 20, building the Mount Rushmore of the kings of Israel, and concluding our discussions on Israel. At the end of the show, we will also be joined by the kids from the Awana Trek class to answer some of their questions. I am your producer, Molly Kingston, and fourth chair panelist. Joining me in first chair is Pastor Ben Kingston. Dad, what has been your greatest kitchen mistake? Oh, land sakes. My greatest kitchen. So I'm still teased about it today. Jeff Richards and his wife came over with his whole family, and I was trying to make minute steaks. And uh, to say that they could have doubled as a hockey puck would be an understatement. Uh, we burnt them. I mean, I offered them sacrificed meat that night. Uh, and so, yeah, that would probably have, that's the first one to come to mind anyway. Awesome. All right. And in second chair is Dr. Gavin Hooks. What has been your greatest kitchen mistake? Boy, I had to really, I was telling Russ and Paula that my, I've got a really good processor in there. It's just really old. Uh, it's like a Commodore 64 processor. <laughs> so first thing that came to mind was the time I tried to kill a, a mouse with a BB gun in the kitchen. That, that didn't turn out very well. Cooking-wise trying to finish the first round of maple syrup that we did, I was ready to stab an eye out. <laughs> it just would not finish. Yes. And I don't think it finished right, ultimately. But right, but the process it. was ex extreme. Okay, and in our third chair is Ryan Mayberry. What has been your greatest kitchen mistake? I had a lot of mishaps with the microwave when I was a kid. So it, <laughs> there was one, I was making oatmeal and I forgot to put any water in it, so it was just burnt to a crisp. Oh, <laughs> wow, yeah. And then there was another time, I was probably like eight or nine, I had a leftover sandwich from Arby's and I just put the whole thing wrapper and all in there and there's metal in oh, those there's, there's metal in them wrappers. Oof, yes. Uh, you gotta be careful with that. For myself, I, okay, um, the, the the sauce that starts with W, Worcester. Yeah, oh, that yeah. one. Worcestershire. Yeah. Yes, well, thank you. I used Worc that while making ramen instead of soy sauce. Mm. It wasn't the best. <laughs> I still ate it, but it <laughs> wasn't course. the best. Of course. You're going to waste food. If you use phonics, it's Worcestershire. But most people do say Worcestershire. 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 That's in Missouri. It's yeah, something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, It's something. It's the um, sauce that starts with a W. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've already had some people actually. Okay, Dad, someone said that your actual biggest kitchen mistake had to do with a jalapeno and a setting a man on fire. Is that how I is that how I'm supposed to read man that? On fire. And he said this man is on fire. Oh, this man is on fire. Kenny said that your greatest kitchen incident was a jalapeno. You ate a jalapeno. Oh, you touched oh, oh, when you yeah, maced yeah, yeah, yourself. Yeah. I was actually in the living room when I did that. <laughs> so it was the greatest living room mistake. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I did. I maced myself with pepper. Yep, yeah, it was bad. That was, that was rough. And then Craig saved my life. Someone else tried to make stuffed pepper soup, mm. and I'm assuming it did not go mm. well. Well, I guess you don't want soup stuffed peppers. Awesome. So if you have, um, if anyone else in the audience wants to te text in Testify. their <laughs> response, you Testify. can text the number on the screen, and I'll read those throughout the show. Um, this also applies to any other questions of topics or any other topics or questions that we broach throughout the show. 
I need to drink my coffee. As always, if you listen later online, please comment your answer on the Facebook post and then like and share so others can join in on the fun. Our first segment is Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 20. I'll read those verses and we can jump in. This section is titled The New Life in my book or in my Bible. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Okay. So uh, looking at that verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Uh, Paul is making a, a clarification there. And remember, every time that, that, you know, the word therefore is there, you want to look previous and see what it's there for. So he's been building this argument of who they are in Christ, that they are one in their fellowship with the Jews, even though it was a mystery to the Jews that, that the Gentiles were going to be saved also, that that was always the plan of God. They were not an afterthought. Uh, there, are, there is nobody that can say, God forgot me. God, uh, before eternity passed, had determined to show his love and grace and mercy to everyone that he created. And so, uh, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. This is my humble opinion. Um, Paul is using the word Gentile to this congregation as a differentiation as to who they are now. Because they are certainly still Gentiles, but they are not the type of Gentiles that they see walking around that have not been saved by the grace of God. And so uh, among the Jewish world, the word Gentile had become a title and a, a euphemism, if you will, a cut down within itself. You know, it, it's really like what the term white people has become now. You know, uh, if you want to slash at somebody that is that, if you will, color, you just use that term. Well, you white people, you know, type deal. And so uh, Paul is not using it to cut them down as much as he's showing them that even though you are Gentiles, because of Christ, you are not to act like those that do not have Christ, how they walked. And so now he goes into how they walked. Uh, the first thing he talks about is in the vanity of their mind. And, of course, that word vanity means empty. And, you know, David said... Uh, my soul thirsteth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And y'all know uh, the lost of our world, this is all they have. This is all they drink from and draw from. It's all they know. And we're going to get into a minute here why that is. And so it's important for us to know uh, that the difference between the lost and the saved is what goes on. Uh, you know, you and I shouldn't be living an empty life. We should be living for a transcendent cause. Comments? I'm going to risk alienation here of a lot of people, but I'm not. Just bear with me here for a minute because I don't. Yeah, so those are ominous words, aren't they? Dun, dun, dun. In the, when I read that Ephesians 4.17, I just finished chapter 44 of the, this precarious moment mm. about millennials. And it occurred to me that... If you read that, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you walk, that you henceforth walk 
not as other millennials walk in the vanity of their mind. And I say that because he does a pretty convincing job of saying that millennials don't know the scriptures. Mm -hmm. They've not been yeah. taught our heritage as a nation. And, and telling them we need to go back to our founding and back to our principles, they don't look at that as positive. Right. So. Because learning is not the important thing. Feeling is. And if, feelings if we're not are, careful. The, are the definition of what's important, how you feel about Correct. it. What, uh, so Which is empty. And, uh, well, so then they also have the wrong history. Like, they haven't been taught the correct things yeah. either. Yes. So what they believe is our founding is not actually where how we were founded. But we're so ruining our future segments. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so he's, he is going to talk about how yeah. to approach millennials. And I, I, I think we should fully adopt his recommendations here. And there are other people saying similar things. To... to speak a, a, a vision or a, um, a way of life that's new to, to um, Americans. We can say that it's very similar to our, our heritage, but that's not what millennials, millennials want to hear. They, they want to they have, have a good, wholesome, fulfilling future that's pitched to them as, a, as their way of, of Embracing a new America. Right. I'm all for it. As, as long as it doesn't disagree with scripture, it's not. Sure. Uh, um, the principles aren't, aren't against the, what God teaches us. Uh, well, in, we can just scripture. look at it as a, a rebranding of sorts. Taking all of the good stuff and just rebranding it and giving it and to the new to generations. And that happens to be a key to the thinking of a, of a millennialist branding. So mm -hmm. oh, yeah. um, th thinking in those terms, I think it's some of the dust is getting stirred up in my head. I've got to clean some stuff off and rethink how to say things. The other thing is, what, what does it take for you to admit that? What does it take, what, happen, what happens in your life does it take for you to admit, that, you know, I've, I've been living an empty life mm. and there's no substance here, there's no reason to live. What, what, I mean, typically what, it's a, a moment of pain. Yeah. Well, and, and what Proverbs says, the backslider will be filled with his ways. Mm. And, and, you know, how many times as parents have we seen our kids going a direction and think, they're going to get tired of that sooner or later. And, and they do, you know. It, and so uh, that vanity, it, it, it's empty. And, and the emptiness, that there's, there's nothing more, uh, I guess you could say, uh, life-changing to realize that this is all vanity. This is complete emptiness, what I'm doing. I'm running in circles. You know, the, the literal hamster running in the you know, yeah, wheel. And I, I keep getting tossed. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I keep Tumbled. getting upended. <laughs> well, and so then he says, having the understanding darkened. So not only are they empty in their lifestyles, they, there is an inability to understand why they're empty. You know, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. And so it just becomes a perpetual cycle of, of further separation, further separation, further separation from God. And then he, and then he gives the, he kind of ties the bow because of the blindness of their heart. Uh, and I, I truly believe that this is more pointing toward what's being done to them than it is necessarily a choice on their behalf. Now, don't get me wrong. We're all sinners by nature. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. But there's a reason why we're a sinner too. We've been duped. We've been 
uh, lied to, and, and we have been blinded by the little <coughs> G, God of this world. Mm. And all of us have struggled with that at some point. And there's no and, doubt. And only a breakthrough of the love of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to illuminate the heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. And if you look this word up, especially in the 1828 uh, Webster app, uh, it's just all sorts of wickedness. You know, it, it's lust of every kind. It's, it's unabated, uh, unsl I mean, just, you know. And so you've got this, and, and that's why a lot of people will come to you, and they're not trying to be blasphemous, but they use the word in terms, God can't forgive me. I, I'm, I'm too far gone, you know. That's really, I, you know, I used to re recoil to that and think, well, that's the biggest pride, you know. For some of them, they, you know, they just don't see a way out, you know. And, and now, don't get me wrong, there are some of those out there that it is a pride thing. You know, I've sinned beyond what God can forgive. There's no such thing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and e so Either way, it's pride. It, either you can way, do it's something, pride. So you're telling me you can do something that God can't undo? That's right. That's pride. That's right. Mm -hmm. there, there is no sin outside of the bounds of God's grace. And so, uh, with that said, um, and, you know, we, we, we've got to say this, with the exception of the, if you die with the sin of unbelief, that's the only sin that, that he's not going to forgive, uh, in my humble opinion. I do believe that that is the unpardonable sin. You know, we can discuss that some other time. But all that said, uh, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. And then he, he, you talk about a mic drop, but ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, all of these things that I have just listed here that represents the lost Gentile, this is, you, you haven't learned any of this from Christ. It's completely, totally opposite. So you could go through here again and you could say uh, that the, the saved person walks completely opposite as to how the the saved person walks completely opposite as to how the lost person does. You and I have a transcendent cause. It's not an empty life. We have our understanding completely opened. The light has shown as to what we're supposed to do. And, and I'm sure everyone in this audience and those that are listening, you can go back to not just one, but several aha moments where you got it, you know, and you went to that next step in your relationship with Christ. And then you're there for a while and then, you get that aha, you know, and you go to the next step. Well, that's that's what living for Jesus does for you. Uh, and we haven't been alienated from anything because instead of ignorance, God is giving us wisdom, knowledge, understanding. You know, you can't read Proverbs without those three words coming up almost every day. And then uh, the exact opposite of blindness of heart. Uh, we've got total direction. You know, you think about it. There is no person on this planet that is more equipped to do what they're intended to do than the Christian. He gave you the Holy Spirit inside of you. He gave you the Word of God to read and follow. He gave you the Church of God to encourage, to disciple, to help you and the such. He gave you exactly what to do, the Great Commission driving the school bus, as we said. So there you go. Comments? No? I don't think so. Okay. We're moving real fast tonight. We, we are. <laughs> All right. We only did three verses. We only did. 
It was more, 1789.4. You know I can't do math. What's sad is we'll have to start bumping those up because we're getting close to the end of the year here. We are. Um, all right, so our next segment is Mount Rushmore of the Kings of Israel. And Dad definitely had to throw me under the bus today when he asked me if I knew four kings of Israel yeah, or no, if I had to Google it. Do you know four kings of Israel? Hey, I'll be right there with you. I and you know what she said? I bet there. you did too, Ryan. And the thing she said she Googled it. Oh, I did. And I only recognized like three out of the whole list. I Googled, I Googled it too. But I didn't Google it because I didn't know them. I Googled it because I wanted it in chronological order. Sorry. <laughs> I can name four kings, but if we're building the Mount Rushmore, right. I wanted the the good. Well, but I didn't so do like the best of the best. Distinguish between whether Judah counts in this group. Right, sure I didn't. So, sure it does. So, okay, yeah. so I'm saying it does. The, yes. Then I, then I, my, my will work. Mine will work. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> thinking about the divided kingdom. And and, and let, let's say this. You know, again, if we're not careful, we talk as if we assume and believe everybody knows what we know. And we will be the first to admit that we don't know what a lot of people know. Uh, with that said... And I've um, forgotten a lot of things I used to know. There, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Saul, David, Solomon. After Solomon, uh, Rehoboam came, and Rehoboam did not accept good advice from the elders. He chose poorly. He chose poorly. And ten of the tribes left the nation of Israel... They were still called Israel, and then the other two tribes stayed with Rehoboam, and they were called Judah. And so now you have two nations within a, if you will, they had a good old-fashioned Baptist church split, <laughs> you know, first Baptist and second Baptist. And, and I keep getting opportunities to tell this joke, but this is one of my favorite Baptist church jokes. <laughs> second Baptist, every five years, becomes Harmony. They split and have another church and call it Harmony. Harmony for five years splits and call it Unity. <laughs> Unity goes five years and they split and call it New Hope. And New Hope goes five years and splits and calls it Little Hope. There really is a church called Little Hope Baptist Church in Texas. But anyway, uh, all right, so go ahead. Who, who wants to go first? Well, I'll go ahead and go first. Right. And, yes, I did Google them, and I Googled a list of names, and it had, like, a timeline of everyone. And then I also had to Google who they were. <laughs> so... The <laughs> Obviously, though, since it's the Mount Rushmore, we're looking for, I'm assuming, the best kings. So, David. Well, according to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, according fair. To who you. speaks to fair. you? Fair. Well, I still, David, I think, is, I mean, yeah. he is the best king in my, well, so outside of one, Jesus. You're going one, two, three, four? Yes, I'm going descending order. Descending order. And then Solomon. Um, and then I have to say Jehoshaphat is the mm -hmm. next one. Um uh, mainly because of his name, but then he was a godly king. He was, and he did a lot of good things. Um, I believe he destroyed a lot of the Baal worship after the king before him. And it's fun to say Jehoshaphat. Exactly. It is. Yeah, his name. Well, we I'm did the musical Fat Fat Jehoshaphat. Yeah. You were probably in that. Uh, maybe I don't know. It might have been before your time. It I can't remember. I think it was. And then my last one is Jehu. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, just because he was a boss and killed everyone who needed to be killed. The human <laughs> vacuum cleaner. Ouch. Yes, That's yes. That's what R.G. Lee called him. Yeah, so I, I appreciated that He one. who driveth furiously. <laughs> Rides right. like Jehu. That's who how they recognize him coming. Furious driving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, who goes next? I'll go next because I only got two. So <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> I went with one, like, I 
read the uh, the topic and then I thought, okay, which ones do I know? And David and Solomon were the only ones that I could remember. So I went with those two. Plus, they they mean something to me. David, because he made so many mistakes and was still called a man after God's own heart. So it's a story of redemption. And then Solomon, that he was God told him to ask for whatever he wanted and he chose wisdom. So that was another inspiration for me too. But that's all I got. Just the two. No, that's good. Fair enough. You want me to go? No, I can go. It don't matter to me. So uh, I went four, three, two, one. Uh, Jehu definitely is one of my four. So R.G. Lee preaches the sermon, and you can YouTube it. It's one of the greatest sermons ever preached. I think 10,000 souls supposedly come to Christ through this sermon. It's unbelievable. Payday someday. And he talks about the king, Jehu. And God used Jehu to eradicate Ahab and Jezebel and their family. And so that's pretty cool stuff to me uh, in a prophet sort of way. Uh, <laughs> Jehoshaphat was the king that he let the song leader lead his army. They, they led the army with a praise and worship service. And God essentially routed the army without them having to draw their sword. Uh, Josiah, uh, the eight-year-old king, if my memory serves me, um, it just the greatest revival, or at least one of them in the Old Testament days, and then David uh, for the reasons that Ryan stated. Amen. Uh, so I put jo Josiah at number four because I felt like he had probably the most thorough return to God yep. of all the kings of Ju Judah at the time. And... The challenges of being a boy king, pretty pretty hard. Um, getting military generals to listen to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can you imagine? Eight, uh, we just go with what you think. So. Right. <laughs> Probably be the, the Safety number one. Safety and a multitude of counselors. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and he did have, he had a godly mentor. He did. Uh, that, that guided him. Uh, so number, number three, Solomon, just for wisdom's sake, if you want to, uh, to do a study in wisdom, do a study in Solomon's life. Of course, the end of his days was not very wise. Um, David, number three, uh, he took Israel to national status, to, to legitimate prominence, country status. Yeah. And uh, number one, Jesus. Jesus answered. Had yeah. King of the Jews on the, on the cross, yeah. so... Well, and yeah. Sorry, no, the uh, Jesus answers. Always, Jesus, it's always right. Jesus, Jesus. Brown noser. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to brown nose anyone, brown yes, nose Jesus. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Okay, so because, <laughs> because the Trek um, class is coming later, we're kind of switching segments. So usually now we would do the mystery topic, but right now we're going to do the precarious moment. So we are ending our discussions on Israel tonight. It's at chapters 34 and 35, um, if you are following along with us in the book. I thought it was 35, 36. Well, maybe it's that. I don't know. It's 35, 36. It's 35, 36. Yep. I was speaking off my brain. No, you're good. You want me to start or you? Well, I told you I was really bad, and I didn't read it. So, yes, uh, if yeah, you want to okay. start an award. <laughs> it's all on you, Well, brain. honestly. I'm part um, of the audience tonight. It's pretty straightforward um, that uh, – the last two chapters here are talking on a positive level. Uh, so who are the friends of Israel? If the whole world, the United Nations, all of the Muslim nations, if they're all against Israel, and they are, who are the friends 
of Israel. And so the first friend, of course, is Christian Zionism. These are the people that believe that Israel has a not just biblical but an absolute right, which it comes from the Bible, to be in existence. They have a right to defend themselves, and they have a right to the ground that they're on, and even what the Bible says uh, the, the boundaries should be. Uh, and, of course, they don't have near what the Bible says that their boundaries should be. Uh, and so uh, he says here that William E. Blackstone from 1841 to 1935 was such a leader he was an American evangelist who, out of a pious wish to hasten the coming of the Messiah, initially focused on the restoration of the Jews to the Holy Land as a prelude to their conversation, I'm sorry, conversion to Christianity. Uh, and then he talks about uh, the modern-day Christian Zionists. So this would be you and me uh, if we agree with those three tenets of Israel. That makes you a, a Christian Zionist. Um, and so uh, he says here uh, another group is called uh, Christians United for Israel. Uh, right now it's the largest, he says, and fastest growing pro-Israel organization in the United States. It strives to act as a defensive shield against the lies, the boycotts, bad theology, and political threats seeking to delegitimize Israel's existence. Now, you know, we try really hard not to name names and such uh, as far as when we're talking about negativity and such. So I'm not going to name the name, but if you've been watching the news, you'll be able to figure it out. But a particular person was not put on a particular committee in the House because of her unbelievable attacks against Israel. So when it became pretty apparent that this was going to actually happen, that she was literally not going to be placed on this committee. She made her rounds on the liberal media and was basically defending and, and explaining away and trying to halfway come to an apology but never quite getting there. So instead of just straight up saying, I blew it, I really was anti-Semitic in those remarks. I, I see the error of my ways now, just basically admitting I've got egg <coughs> on my face. Instead, it was, I had no idea that it was offensive to talk about mm. Jews and finances. Yeah. Not that it was wrong, that it was no, offensive. No, yes. yeah, I didn't, know it was an a, a, I didn't know it was a trope. Hmm. But yet you knew enough about it to say it as a negative thing towards Israel. Uh, so, you know, I'll let you make your own decisions there. Uh, but what I'm trying to explain to you is that CUFI, Christians United for Israel, are folks that are trying to bring the light on those types of attacks. Uh, ICEJ, the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, was established in 1980. It recognizes the biblical significance of Jerusalem and its unique connection with the Jewish people. And although many international embassies, and this is something I was not aware of until Trump's presidency, uh, most embassies have stayed away from Jerusalem because it really hacks off, you know, all these nations around them. Uh, but they've just stayed with it. And ICEJ from the beginning has made its home in Jerusalem in recognition of the fact the city is the eternal capital of Israel. you got to be careful saying that in certain yeah. circles, yeah. you know. Uh, so a pending problem, he says uh, in this chapter, the aging 
of these groups. These groups are getting older, and there's not a whole lot of undergirding from the younger, you know, the millennials and the such. So um, let me see here. If the current trajectory continues, Christian Zionism and support of Israel will surely fade. But there are many reasons for optimism that this trajectory will turn in a more favorable direction. CUFI, on-campus covenant journey, and the Philos Project are only a few of the youth and young adult-centered movements raising a new generation of Christian Zionists. Comments before we go to the last chapter? So why, why, do, why is it important for us to support Israel? I think we covered that in the previous chapters here. I One, will that bless God blesses those them. who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And, and it, goes, it goes deeper as well. That, that's the summary of it. Right. But the Judeo-Christian ethic, it, they're married. One birthed the other, if, right. you, if you want to say it that way. But the Christianity was a telescope link of... Judaism. It was the working out of Judaism. If you're if you're a true uh, believer and you're Jewish, you believe that there's no division between Judaism and Christianity. Christianity is just the natural out, outflow from Judaism because the Messiah has come. Right. Uh, so, so the the principles and the philosophy around Judeo-Christian Juda Judaism and Christianity are very similar and have very similar outcomes. So that statement that if you bless Israel, I will bless you, especially if you're embracing Judaism as, as far as the principles are concerned, as the, the, the foundational principles that were there coming into Christianity. So that they're perfect allies. Philosophically speaking, Christianity and Judaism are perfect philosophical allies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and nations that pursue those two are blessed. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, and so in the last chapter, it's called The Elephant in the Room. And uh, after I read it, I put just as a subtitle there, What are the Christian's Motives? This is something that we covered in The Art of Neighboring. And it's, you know, it's, I'm still wrestling with it, if you will, but I agree with it. And that is this evangelization of your sphere of influence. You winning your friends, neighbors, and relatives to Christ is not your ulterior motive. At least it shouldn't be. It's not something you hide, but it's also not something that's going to determine whether or not you continue to love this person. Your evangelization and you living out Christ before your sphere of influence is your ultimate go. And if they come to Christ, hallelujah, praise the Lamb. If they don't come to Christ, that's between them and God. You and I are still to love them. And so one of the things that has soured over the years with Israel accepting Christian effort to love them is your scripture in the New Testament says that, you know, our nation basically has to come back to God for Christ to come. And so some evangelists, some evangelicals have kind of twisted this that we can manipulate when Jesus comes by getting, you know, Israel to Christ. <laughs> you know, um, remember, no man knows the hour and, the, and no man knows the day. So, uh, I, again, the, the ultimate reason to love them is because we are supposed to. He brings out pretty skillfully that 
the scripture says, I will bless those that bless Israel. I will curse those that curse Israel. That's whether or not Israel comes to Christ or not. You know, now we know that at least a remnant is going to come to Christ. We know that from scripture. Uh, but th that is not to be yours and my ulterior motive. It is the ultimate motive. Comments? Nope. Nope. That was great. Boy, that didn't get said very often. <laughs> <laughs> let's just think about that. Yeah, let's just think. Let's soak in that. Um, one quote he says here, the obvious question for Christ followers is, if there are official limitations placed on sharing Jesus, which in Israel you cannot openly try to proselyte a Jew mm. to Christianity, it's against the law, uh, then why are Christians active in supporting Israel? Very simply because the Bible commands us to love and bless Israel. God does not place conditions on that command. This is what he wants and what Christians must do. This needs to be repeated for emphasis. The Bible commands us to love and bless Israel, period, end of story. Yeah, and I'm just kind of looking and seeing some of the things that they have in um, italics down here and talking about how, you know, a lot of people, the way they try to evangelize is very forceful, like the convert or die yeah. and things like that. And, and that rarely ever works. It does for some people, but not for everyone. And I think, you know, especially when we're <laughs> when we are trying to evangelize to the Jews especially because they have such a rich history in God like they they know you know a, a lot of times Christians especially those who grew up in church they have the head knowledge Jews have the head knowledge they're still working on the heart knowledge right. and I think like it's talking about you know preach the gospel and if necessary use words right. use your actions to show Christ to to the Jews and and eventually and that's what they did in with the first church is they used their actions. They sold their stuff. They helped the orphans and the, and the women. And they healed the people who needed to be healed and things right. like that. You know, they used their actions to preach Jesus. So the convert or die always reminds me of the Bugs Life movie, The Grasshopper. Uh-huh. Isn't that Bugs? It's a Bugs Life. I will. Is that I'm right? assuming. And so... The grasshopper that's the mean, maniacal guy and his brother is kind of the dumb. <laughs> and so uh, the brother has made it clear we're going back to the ant hill and none of the rest of the grasshoppers want to go. And so they talk the brother into going to the leader and basically trying to get him not to go. And so when he realizes that, uh, you know, something's going on here, you know, a mutiny type thing, he goes to the little bar, in quotations, and they're eating these pieces of grain. And he says, yeah, these ants aren't any big deal. You know, oh, yeah, that's right. And he says, uh, but there was that one ant that stood up to me. Oh, that's just one. And so he takes a piece of grain and hits the ant and, or grasshopper. And he says, that's not a big deal. No, nah, we can take that. Well, then he pulls the spout, and all of the grain just wipes out these three guys that didn't want to go. And then so the leader says, okay, who's with me? And, of course, everybody starts flying, and they're ready. And the brother says, he's such a motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. Nobody wants to come to Christ because you've got their arm twisted behind their back. And so it is, you know, Gavin brings this out so aptly with the Garden of Eden. You had two trees. You had a choice. I think it offends, offends Christ's senses to 
think that you could strong arm, strong arm someone into a love relationship. He never did. Amen. Right. would recommend we do. Amen. All right. Awesome. Well, um, we have a break before we move on to the Trek segment. And you guys, I think, will actually enjoy this because we are doing Taylor Swift versus Lamentations or Lamentations. And can we poll the public before we do the, the answer? Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking think is cool. if, if you guys would like to join the game, that is perfectly fine. So I am going to read a quote, and you are going to tell me whether you think Taylor Swift said it or sang it or if it is a verse from the lame, uh, Book of Lamentations. It's just going to be embarrassing. And it's harder than you think. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is this. We've been to hell and back. We're nowhere to turn. We've nowhere to turn, nowhere to go. Rivers of tears pour from my eyes. Taylor so Swift. again, Taylor do we Swift. think? To, oh, oh. Taylor Swift. Okay, so I'll read it one more time. We've been to hell and back. We've nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. Rivers of tears pour from my eyes. So how many believe it's Lamentations? Raise your hand. All right, how many Taylor Swift? Raise your hand. I think it's Taylor Swift, too. It's Lamentations. Oh. <laughs> I told you it's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> it is the Lamentations. I was surprised at that one, too. I was thinking of listening to her music to hell and back. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. Lighten up. Oof, I agree. Okay, so the next one is... See the vultures circling dark clouds. Love's a fragile little flame. It could burn out. Well, that's got to be Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. How, how many believe it's Taylor Swift? How many believe it's Lamentations? Oh, oh, one brave soul. Okay. A couple brave souls. Everyone was right. It was Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the one brave soul that said Lamentations. Lamentations again. <laughs> you it's said been a long time. It, well, I was the only one that said. Uh, yeah, you and I think there was one other that said Lamentations. Yeah. All right, awesome. We're, we're doing great so far. Number three. I was just surpri surprised that she knew what a buzzard was. No <laughs> doubt. <laughs> a vultures. A vulture. Well, vulture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll find out what it's like to get... Oh, sorry. Let me try this again. You'll find out what it's like to get drunk and wake up with nothing. Hmm. I'm thinking Lamentations. I'm so wrong I'm on that. Say lamentations. <laughs> that sounds like How many lamentations. believe you say... That sounds like Lamentations. Taylor Swift. All right, Lamentations. I'm going to say Lamentations. That's about a 50-50 split. It is indeed Lamentations. Ooh, I got one right. Ooh. I got confused because there's dots right. between <laughs> the get drunk. So they took out some things there. So I'm curious what that says. All right, next one. Time turns flames to embers. I liked this quote. This was deep. Time turns flames to embers. <laughs> How many believe Lamentations? How many believe Taylor Swift? I'm going to go Lamentations. Just you, Uncle Gavin, what do you think? Lamentations? Taylor Swift. Lam okay, uh, it's Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one out of four. All right, so here is the last one. These walls that they put up, oh, I keep getting lost in words. These walls that they put up to hold us back will fall down. The time will come for us to finally win and they'll sing hallelujah. We'll sing hallelujah. Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. <laughs> okay, so who thinks it's Lamentations? Who Ooh. thinks it's Taylor Swift? Oh, I, I, I'm Lamentations, sorry. Okay, it's Taylor Swift. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Almost a perfect score today. The hallelujah tricked you yeah, guys. Yeah, <laughs> through y'all. All right, awesome. That's good. I love those. Uh, we only That's have good. one more right. round of those left, so... Okay. Can, can I ask the, and, and guys, listen, 
No judgment, okay. How many young people knew that there was a book in the Bible named Lamentations? Oh, I'm impressed. pretty good. I'm impressed. Very good. Yeah, if they've been through the Iwana program, they've there had to go. memorize the books there of the Bible. There you go. Good job. Good job. If you want some fun times, I suggest reading it. It's really fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> it <laughs> is fun. Written <laughs> by the weeping prophet. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you want to laugh at other people's sorrows. Oh, okay. Okay, okay so like I said earlier. You have to take that up with Jeremiah <laughs> in heaven. <laughs> Go ahead. The Trek class has come to join us again. They did this a few times last year, and they asked if they could come and do it again. So we are very happy to welcome you back to the Bethel Radio Hour. What we did this year is um, you guys, we collected your questions, and then each of us picked one. And so Brad's going to bring up the wheel of names, and we're going to use the wheel for this one. And, and hopefully we can get through all four of them. If not, we'll pick up the next time you come in and try to hit as many questions in this time frame that we can. So we're going to see whose question goes first. It looks like Dad's question is going to go first. All right. Is Lawson here tonight? Lawson? James? No? Oh, bummer. Well, you'll have to tell him what Dad said. You'll have to listen. Uh, So how old was Jesus when he started his ministry? How old was it when he died? How come his ministry was so short compared to how long we live here on earth? So... Uh, The first two segments of that, how old was Jesus uh, when he started his ministry and how old was it when he died, Uh, the accepted biblical, if you will, scholarly view is is that he was in the 30, 29 to to 30 and a half range. The reason why most scholars believe that is because in the Jewish time, it was customary not to recognize a male as a man until he was 30. And so, of course, God knowing that custom, you know, the Savior of the world was going to wait until he was considered a man. Uh, At least that's my opinion. Uh, There's not a lot of verses that point to the age as to why God waited to that time. um, As much as we understand from Jewish folklore that uh, that was understood. If he were to be born in today's setting, it would be 20 Uh, 21, 22, things of that nature. And so as far as why was his ministry so short, uh, he's a savior of the world. It didn't take him long to show everyone who he was, what he could do, uh, why he was here. Uh, And I I don't think he was on any time limit. Uh, Just in God's perfect timing, that's the way it was. And uh, why so short to compare to how long we live here on earth. Um, The the bottom line is, again, it, it was in fulfillment of what God intended. He came, he did everything that his father asked him to do, and he could get that done in a a three-and-a-half-year ministry uh, type thing. And when you look at it, uh, you know, we don't really probably even live as long. You know, we're we're considered to be so smart, and so as a result, we're living longer uh, from the Old Testament, you know, to the New Testament. Uh, Most folks lived a lot longer than we do today type thing. Uh, And and that whole mortality rate has went up and down throughout our, you know, history uh, on, here on earth. But that's, that would be my first approach to the answer. I don't even know if, because um, I was just thinking, like, why was it so short? Three years, it definitely is short from our perspective. But he caused such a ruckus, to right. use a, a bad word, right. that I don't think, I don't think the other people would have allowed him a longer ministry. Right. 
Um, I think he, you know, ruffled enough feathers in sure. just those three years, and that's why it was, you know, went so fast. Yeah. But like you said, he didn't need any longer. Like right. he did everything he needed to do within those three years. Yep, yep. he said it's finished. Yeah, at the end. Amen. All complete. Completed. And uh, he, it, it also, I guess, feeds into how you're explaining that. That when Jesus's mom said, "Why don't you go talk to the wedding uh, supervisor and mm -hmm. see what you can do for him?" And he said, "It's not my woman is not my time." And she, she knew it was. So <laughs> right, she she's like, uh, yeah, she "Think again." <laughs> she ignored him. Yep, yep. So you know what your time. <laughs> Do what he says. I, I have always wondered if that was Mary forcing Jesus to go earlier, or if that was Jesus saying, "I'm not quite ready." Because I don't think it's, it's not a sin to not be no. ready to start the plans no. that God has for you. So I've always wondered. You but know. He, it's interesting that he respected his mom's wishes. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was mm -hmm. obedient to his mom. He was the perfect yeah, you son. You guys think you have a domineering mom. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Mary. That's All right. right, let's see who gets the next question. And we're moving on to Ryan's Ryan. question. All right. Well, I took Bo Miller's. Is he here? Oh, I Bo believe he is. Yeah. All right, so his question was, the school proclaims the earth to be millions, perhaps billions of years old, but Christians say it's thousands of years old. Other than the Bible, what proof do we have that it's not millions or billions of years old? So really this is kind of two questions both together. One is the age of the earth, and one is where it originated. So as far as the age of the earth, uh, you can be a Christian and believe either one, thousands, or billions of years old, depending on how you read Genesis. It uh, depends if you think... It means six literal days or days as in, you know, like when someone says back in my day, they mean a period of time. Right. I'm, I lean more towards the literal days. I've heard arguments on both sides. Sure. But whichever one is true, uh, it, neither one disproves the Bible. Uh, so that was the first part. And the second part is uh, what the government school system teaches versus what Christianity teaches. And that is where the origin of the universe began. Whether you believe it was you know, thousands of years ago or millions, that's the bigger question is, it did God create it? And according to the Bible, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Outside of the Bible, one of my, uh, the most compelling arguments to me for that, God did create the earth is, you know, where did it come from? If the earth is made of matter, something outside of matter had to create it because it couldn't create itself. And you could ask, well, then who created God? But if you go down that rabbit hole, then, you know, if you call the creator of God his dad, then you've got God's dad, and then who created God's dad, and who created his dad, and right. it just keeps going into, you know. Until you find the uncreated Exactly. Creator. There had to be one uncreated being that could create what we see now, mm -hmm. and that aligns with what the Bible says. So that's the most convincing argument to me, but that's Very what good. I would say. And you got to ask yourself, why? have an alternative view as to how the earth was created. There's only one answer, to remove God. Mm. And I do think, as a side note, I've heard a lot of people say that, well, anyone who tries to justify the billions of years, they're just denying the authority of Scripture. I don't necessarily think that's true. Some sure. do. Sure. But some are just trying to reconcile what they see in nature with what the Bible says. That you can believe both. And I think the flaw lies on the side of nature, obviously. Sure. And I'm not saying that the Bible has flaws. Right, right. But right, cool. uh, I don't think it would be right to throw everyone under the bus who wants to reconcile the two because, it, you know, you've got to, whatever you believe, 
you know, reconcile it with reality. You bet. Well, and amen to that. And so what I encourage folks to do is, is <clears throat> because what I see happening is a refusal to look at the six literal 24-hour period, mm -hmm. the, the proof that's there, if yep. you will. The, 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 and that, so so that they're, the reason most of the folks that I have talked to that, that want to try to justify the millions and billions of years is because they simply haven't been taught you know, the create, what's it called? Uh, creation science. And, and so they're, they're just, they just got one side of it, you know. Uh, but certainly the person that's been raised uh, in Christianity, you need to know the other side of it too. Mm -hmm. can, can I, I, I just, whenever it comes to talking about how old the earth is, Bo, the secular side, they make very co confident claims about the age of the earth, but they don't, they don't have so they, they make claims they have hard evidence that the earth is and the universe is four billion years old. Not true. But they can't, it's, they yes, don't have there's much no evidence, evidence to, to that. And the assumptions that they make are tenuous at best. Mm -hmm. So they've made assumptions about how they're calculating this that can't be substantiated because nobody was there to substantiate it. So as far as the, bi the billions of years, you can't say with certainty that that's the case. When you look at can I just go right into my topic? Yeah, yeah it's, it I just, think we have time for one more, so it, why don't you go ahead. It uh, dovetails with uh, Ryan's topic so well. The billions of years, as far as the uh, theories of secular science go, are because it takes billions of years to put together a species like us, a biological being like we are, that's very complicated, very sophisticated, and the only explanation or the only way that they can explain it is that it took billions of years to get here. Looking at the other side of it, sci science is very quickly coming to understanding that everything in, in our makeup, the genetic makeup of an individual is very complicated, very interdependent on other parts of the, the genetic code. So we're finding out that very little of, of our makeup could have be separated from the rest of it and still have a living being. So scientists just have a simple organism to, to come into being. They say it takes 42,000 enzymes to be in the same place at the same time. The chances of that happening are extremely low. And you add to that the billions of base pairs in our genetic makeup that make us a sophisticated being, a sophisticated biological entity most of them have to be in, in the same place at the same time in the right sequence, in the right order. It all has to be there at the same time. In the right environment. Yes, and there's no, there's no reasonable way that's been explained to us of adding information to the being. Mm -hmm. So if we were one-celled organism way back when, how information's added to that one-celled organism for it to be a two-celled organism or for it to have a new function, like it can detect uh, sugar, it can, can detect CO2 and move toward it. How did that information get put together, put into the DNA of that one cell organism so that it becomes a, a more evolved, more sophisticated individual? They can't explain how that happens. We, we to date have never observed it happen, but Bo's eyes are glazing over. So <laughs> stay with me, buddy, stay with me. Can you tell so us your question, Gavin? I'm sorry. So, so my question was the uh, the age of man. Why was why did uh, some in the Bible live to be over 900 years old mm. versus so? 
I'm, I'm taking the long route, Molly. Sorry. It's a, no, it's okay. Uh, we just had a question. Like, we so wanted so to see what your question was out in the audience. You bet. So mine was Silas's question about how the ages of, of men and how, why they lived so long in the, in the beginning. So with, with when you put together a new, um, let's say a, a, um, a new piece of information and you want to put it into the code so that that organism develops eyesight. So you go from a, a, a blob of goo to something that has eyes. You have to put that information together in a readable way because the, the machinery of that blob reads the DNA. And then it has to put that in on both ends of that. You have to have the leader. So you have to say this is where the gene starts, this is where the gene ends. And then it get, has to get spliced into the reading material of that blob. Then the then it develops, oh, we got eyes now on a piece of blob on a piece of goo. There's no demonstrable way that that happens. It all has to be, all the species have to be put together at the same time with the same characteristics with those genes in place or it doesn't work. If you've never watched the incredible creatures that defy evolution, you need to get that for your kids, moms and dad. Incredible creatures that defy evolution. He explains all of this in that, that video. So, either we were put together piecemeal at a time, getting smarter, getting more sophisticated, getting more complicated as time went on, mm -hmm. or we were all together one time in, in a functioning way. And we were put together with the perfect writing of that DNA at the beginning. So the author of our DNA, we say God, the one who created us, put all that information in as a brand new program that was running a brand new computer and put us here on this earth to enjoy. And that those first computers were perfect. Their, their uh, software was written perfectly. There were no errors in it. it. They just functioned and they just kept right on going for 900 plus years. So I'm, I'm, I'm equating the first humans with computers. As time goes on, that, that DNA or that information gets mixed up. Every time you copy it, you make a mistake. Every time you add two, strands together, there's some mistakes made. Those accumulate over time and they decrease the lifespan of that computer, that person, that individual. Because of sin. Because of sin. And, and that's, that's key. As God made us, he made us to be eternal beings and he supplied us with the ability to be, to stay forever with him alive in the Garden of Eden. That, that's, there's a whole other discussion there. But as, when sin entered the world, so did damage. So damage, harm, death, uh, disease, all started after the fall. So we, we lost somehow the means to repair our DNA and over time those mistakes have accumulated. So the ages of men be got smaller and smaller and smaller. Now in the last century, we've gotten pretty smart and we started put, putting together medical ways of overcoming our genetic weaknesses. So we've increased the lifespan in the last century, but over time, generally speaking, we've lost lifespan. Silas here, you're here. See something. So does that does that answer your question? So our DNA is becoming more and more mixed up over time. We're losing information and we're not living as long because of sin. When when man fell, sin entered the world and damage started happening. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have any scientific backing for what I'm going to say here, but I believe also the flood could have 
affected it as well as what I have heard that, you know, the atmosphere had to change for the flood to happen, for it to rain for the first time. And um, like I've said before, my personal belief is that the oxygen increased and now we're continually burning inside, oxidizing because we're breathing. But that's neither here nor there. I'm glad Trek was able to join us today. We will answer more questions for you, I think, in two weeks is what we're going to try to aim for is every two. Um, Ryan, do you have a word of wisdom for us? I do. Let me find it. Okay, uh, the more responsibility you have, the more fulfilling your life will be. Mm, very good. Awesome. Okay, well, that's spoke to me today because I did a whole bunch of adulting. <laughs> I hope you guys come back next week uh, to join us for our segments again. Thank you, and invite your friends and neighbors and relatives and share on your social socials. Good night and God bless. Thank you, guys. <laughs>